grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friends. I'm Marcy Farrell from ThankfulHomemaker.com, and we're continuing on at a series in the podcast on marriage. Normally, my podcasts are standalone, but these past several episodes have been a series. This is episode 40. It's the last one in the marriage series, and the series started with episode 34, which was God's design for marriage and our role as women. We moved on from that to loving our husbands and then respecting our husbands. Submission was broken down into two episodes, and my husband was a guest on the first one on submission. And then last week was communication, and we're closing on with the series here on sexual intimacy. So this has been a fun episode to research and read on, and um, the stack of books on my table has been fun. I don't know if you guys, if you follow me on Instagram, you might have seen that photo I had up. But um, it's just been a fun topic to go through and discuss with my husband here at home. I know he's really enjoyed the conversation as of late at home, so it's been really enjoyable. <clears throat> but I do want to give a heads up here to my ladies because of the topic of this episode. It's really geared towards married women or engaged women very soon to be married. There is nothing explicit here. I'm just stating that. But um, it's really not one for your kids to maybe be listening to. So if you can, pop on your headphones or listen when the kids aren't around. I would just highly recommend that. Um, I would I would rate it PG, maybe. It's not my normal G-rated podcast. So it's nothing overly explicit here. You have to read the books that I had the stack of at Instagram, and then, then we'll move from there. So <laughs> all right. So let's start out here. So we know that sex is a beautiful gift of God. And as Christians, we have God's permission to enjoy sex within our marriages. God invented it. We can learn to not just enjoy it, but delight in intimacy with our husbands. Martha P. shares from The Excellent Wife, The physical union of husband and wife is designed by God to meet God-given desire for companionship, to protect the husband and wife from temptation, and for the mutual giving and receiving of great pleasure and joy between the husband and wife. Companionship is strengthened by the private, intimate, physical bond of a married couple. Proverbs 5, 18 to 19 says, Let your fountain, or your body parts that produce life, be blessed and rejoice or ecstatically delight with the wife of your youth. Let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured or filled with her love. And I example, I just kind of opened up some of the definitions there to those words and reading those passages. So God's word speaks much on sex. Really, almost every book of the Bible has something to say about sex. Just take a read through the Song of Solomon, which depicts the love relationship in marriage and throughout the Proverbs. But I want to start us back in Genesis to get us started here. So we talked in the first marriage episode, number 34, how Genesis 2.18 stated that it's not good for the man to be alone. So the Lord made him a helper fit for him. Genesis 2.24 shared how they were to relate to one another in marriage. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So after marriage, we're to depend on one another, husband and wife, right? And not on our parents. We cleave. And cleave means to stick together or be closely joined. So we cleave to one another. We're totally committed to one another, and we're joined together in the sexual union, or to be one flesh. 
Adam and Eve before the fall were, as it says in Genesis 2.25, naked and without shame. This is a great point that Ed Ed Wheat made in his book, Intended for Pleasure, that the sex relationship God designed for them bought, bought, I'm sorry, let me try that again. I'm going to start that over. That the sex relationship that God designed for them both brought the blessings of companionship, unity, and delight. And note that this was some time before the command to bear children was given in Genesis 3.16. So God made our bodies fearfully and wonderfully made. And as we learn more about the details of our design and anatomy as male and female, and we get to understand how all these intricate details provide us with such amazing physical sensations that we can enjoy together in our marriages, it's clear that God desires us to experience full satisfactions in our marriages, ladies. I have a lengthy quote here from Ed Weed. He says, as a matter of fact, The sex relationship and marriage receive such emphasis in the scriptures that we begin to see it was meant not only to be a wonderful continuing experience for the husband and wife, but it was also intended to show us something even more wonderful about God and his relationship with us. In Ephesians 5, 31 through 32, it spells it out here. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And then he continues here. Thus, properly and lovingly executed and mutually satisfying sexual union is God's way of demonstrating to us a great spiritual truth. It speaks to us of the greatest love story ever told, of how Jesus Christ gave himself for us and is intimately involved with and loves the church, those who have repented and put their faith and trust in Jesus. And he finishes here. He says, in this framework, the sexual relationship between two growing Christians can be intimate fellowship as well as delight end quote there. So even as Christians, we can too easily let the world or other voices in the church give us our view of sex when it has to come from God's word. God's word is sufficient in all ways, and especially and even in our sexual relationship with our husbands. So Linda Dillow and Lorraine Pintus in their book, Intimate Issues, share in this opening chapter of their book of how we are to open our eyes and ears and hearts to God's voice on why he created sex. And they give these um, these few points here, and I'm going to kind of give the headings and then just give a little dialogue underneath it. So first they said, we know that God created the gift of sex for procreation, right? Genesis 1.28 says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So just stating here, ponder, even the way in the design in which God designed to make babies together between man and woman, right? The way that our bodies mold and fit together. The next point they made here is that sex is for the gift of intimate oneness. Genesis 2.24 says, which states that they shall become one flesh, two becoming one. God sees the married couple as one being instead of two. They are two separate beings that come together being connected in body, soul, and spirit. The gift of sex is for intimate knowledge. Genesis 4.1 says, now Adam knew, and I love the NIV here because it says, made love. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. So the Hebrew word for sexual intercourse is 
to know when we come together as man and wife in the sexual union, it's an intimate knowing of one another that we share with no one else. Mike Mason from The Mystery of Marriage states it beautifully. He says, For in touching a person of the opposite sex in the most secret place of his or her body, with one's own most private part, there is something that reaches beyond touch, that gets behind the flesh itself to the place where it connects with spirit, to the place where incarnation happens. Another aspect is God gives us the gift of sex for pleasure. So in Intimate Knowledge, Linda Diller reminds us that scripture talks more about the pleasure of sex than it does about being fruitful and being one. The Song of Solomon is an entire book of the Bible on the subject of sexual pleasure. And I'm going to read Proverbs 5, 18 to 19 here again. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. Sex is a gift from God against temptation. Proverbs warns the young man in Proverbs 15.5 to drink water from his own cistern and fresh water from your own well. And 1 Corinthians 7, um, chapter 7, verses 2 and 5 make it clear that sex in our marriage can be a deterrent to temptation. And those two verses say, but because of the temptation to sexually to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And we're going to talk more about that too. So um, sex is God's gift to provide comfort to one another. When your husband has had a difficult or stressful day or period of his life, is one of the thoughts that comes to you, into your mind to give him physical comfort by making love to him? After David and Bathsheba's son died, and while they were both grieving, it says in 2 Samuel 2.24, Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him. Our gift of lovemaking to one another can provide great comfort in difficult times. It is a tension reliever. Linda Dillo says, Through our lovemaking, we can create life, experience one flesh intimacy and deep knowledge, enjoy deep pleasure, and even comfort each other in times of stress or sorrow. That kind of summarizes these points we just went through. The world has made a mess of what God has stated is good. And my hope as we continue on today is that we can redeem within our marriages this beautiful gift of sex that is a gift from God. Let's just do a quick review of some basic biblical sexual ethics. We know the, that both the Old and New Testament prohibit premarital and extramarital sex. There's forgiveness in Christ for these sins, and we'll chat a bit more on that later because I know we don't all come from sexually pure past before Christ. And sadly, I am there with you out there, so I do want to address this. And in 1 Corinthians 7, and I'm going to camp in this chapter for just a bit. So in verses 7 and 8 there, if you have your scriptures and you want to pop them open to look, take a look. I'm not reading the scriptures. I'm just giving you the references here. And as always, these will all be in the show notes too. But so in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul is not saying marriage is bad here. He's talking about singleness. He's stating that choosing celibacy and singleness helps him to focus on the mission of the church. It was God's gift to him. Singleness is a gift. Not everyone is called to marriage. Not everyone is called to singleness, right? But there are things that single people can accomplish that married people cannot. And if you continue on there in verses 10 and 11 of 1 Corinthians 7, if we're married, we're to stay married. 
I'm not going into any more detail on that one. It's pretty clear. And if there are issues that you're going to need to deal with, deal with them biblically. And the hope there is divorce will not even be considered. Um, we talked more about that in my episode 34. In, in verses 3 through 5 of chapter 7, so we're backing up a little bit here. We have authority within marriage over each other's bodies within the sexual context. These verses are pretty clear that those who are married should be frequently expressing sexual intimacy in their relationship. We're to fulfill the sexual needs of our spouse and vice versa there. It's not to be done out of demand or to withhold it as a punishment, but it's a way we serve our spouse and look to meet their needs. I'm Basically, I'm giving up my sexual rights to the Lord to meet the needs of my spouse. Sexual selfishness will destroy intimacy between a husband and wife. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But the good news is that sexual intimacy in marriage can be strengthened if we independently commit ourselves to meeting the needs of our spouse. Okay, ladies, my wife's out there. Why is it important that we surrender our authority to our husbands of our bodies, right, in this way and choose to be a servant? We've been given the power by the Lord to give sexual fulfillment to our husbands. He cannot fulfill himself. We must be willing, ladies, to give our husbands authority over our bodies in this way, not to be abused or demanded to meet their needs, but to willingly meet their emotional, relational, and physical needs. It's taking the role of a servant, and it shouldn't be looked at as a chore, but a delight because we benefit too. So these verses in 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5 state some things that we need to understand about abstinence of sex, all right? First, it should be under mutual consent. Sex is not to be used as a reward or a bribe or something that we withhold as a punishment. And it also means that we're sensitive to one another's emotional and physical conditions. If there's illness or difficulties, we need to be sensitive to that and vice versa. The hope is our husbands would be to us too. We must not expect sex on demand. And on the flip side of that, we shouldn't constantly be trying to get out of meeting their sexual needs. All right. This, I cannot imagine the reason for withholding sex in most marriages is done because they're taking time to pray. As it says in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Have you ever given your husband that excuse, honey, not right now because I have to pray? Probably not. All right. So the hope is that the hope is you get to pray together before bed and then comes your time to be together. Um, all right, the hope is that when we look at these verses in 1 Corinthians 7 as commands from God to bring to our marriages the mindset of a servant and that our focus would be on sexually satisfying our husbands. God gives us the gift of a husband and it should be our joy and privilege to delight, delight in loving and living for someone else besides ourselves. Dear sisters, the Lord intends for our greatest joy in marriage to come from being a primary source of joy to our spouse. John Piper says, The reason there's so much misery in marriage is not that the husbands and wives seek their own pleasure, but they do not seek it in the pleasure of their spouses. End quote. All right, so the verses we've just walked through in 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5, the Apostle Paul is stating that the key to great sex is giving. It's being generous to our spouses in this way. Sex should be an adventure in your marriage where you're learning more about one another and what pleases the other person, but also sharing with your spouse what pleases you. 
We're going to spend a lifetime figuring out how we can delight one another with our bodies. This goes on in our marriages for as long as we both shall live, right? It's till death do us part. What a sweet gift we've been given. So let's walk through, and I want to try to be brief and touch on some areas that can be a hindrance to our sexual relationship within our marriages. Um, If these are areas that are a struggle for you, work through some of the resources that I'm going to share and make sure you are continuing to bring yourself to the back to the gospel, that you're continuing to preach the gospel to yourself, all right? Because this is where our issue usually falls. We forget what God has done for us and to us in Christ. I'm going to put a link to my post on preaching the gospel to ourselves because it's such a good reminder for us always. And I'm going to put a quick plug here for the Homemaking Ministries online conference coming at the end of September because it's the Deep Dive Summit and my sessions are out of the Identity in Christ category and I'm literally giving a session on what it looks like to practically preach the gospel to ourselves and also dealing with idols of the heart. So I'd love you to join me. I'll put the link in the show notes, but I'd love to quote, see you there because we do get live in the Facebook group. So I'll do a live video after my teaching and the Facebook group where we can take questions and answers and communicate. It is a lot of fun. All right. That'll be in the show notes. All right. Um, okay, here we go. So it was about reminding ourselves to preach the gospel to ourselves. That's where I left us off. Okay. Also, if, if there's some areas here that you're struggling, seek help from your church maybe a good trusted friend who's going to give you godly counsel or a biblical counsel um, counselor if needed here. This podcast is not a quick fix, okay? I'm. This is really coming at you as an encouragement. Um, it may highlight some areas that need attention on your walk with the Lord. And my hope is that you won't just stop here then, but you'll continue to seek the help that you need. I have a blog post that went up yesterday, and it has my top recommended resources on sexual intimacy in our marriages. I went through some um, just articles I really like, uh, podcast messages, some videos that I like, and books. So it's all in the show notes, or show notes, it's in the blog post from yesterday. Um, And I'll link it, obviously, in the show notes to this um, podcast post, too. But always, as I state this, because it sounds all confusing, you can just head to thankfulhomemaker.com. And if it's not on the first page of the blog anymore, use my search bar on the right side of the blog and type in sexual intimacy. I My search bar, I use it all the time to find my own post. So it's a pretty handy little tool there. Okay, so what do we do, ladies, with painful memories, sexual abuse, past sexual sin of our own? These are really delicate areas to work through. And I... I I am not feeling equipped to deal with them, but I do, as I said, just want to touch briefly on them. And before I do that, I want to share a little bit of my background as I get into this. All right, past sexual sin and shame and guilt is one I came into my marriage with. My husband and I married as unbelievers, and we brought baggage into our marriage. I brought a lot of baggage, and many of you have read my testimony um, regarding my abortion story on my blog I was much guilt to deal with on my own. And I'm going to just share it that when I came to Christ, that burden of my past sexual sins was lifted as I confessed them to the Lord. I knew that they were forgiven and God looked at me and saw Jesus. God's grace was a reality to me and I understood what it meant to be made new and to be loved by my heavenly father. And I know that it is not that easy and quick for everyone. There was much to that for me, 
because I had been given up um, for adoption by my earthly father. And that has always left me with this feeling of being unwanted. Um, as a young girl, I used sex as a way to find acceptance and love from others. And somewhat, I really had that mindset in my early years of marriage to my husband. I was pregnant before Doug and I were married, and I really struggled to accept the fact that I was loved by my Dougie and that he chose to marry me because he truly wanted to and loved me. But in the back of my mind, I always had the thought, and it would come up continually if we had an argument or something, that he just married me because I was pregnant. And basically, I was making his life miserable. I was the poor me thing constantly. And I would just, you know yell at him that, you know, he's just a good man and he's just the kind of guy that does the right thing. And really my Doug is that kind of guy. But Doug was so good to continue to reassure me and show me not just with his words, but with his actions. He was so patient and kind and loving, even as an unbeliever to another unbeliever at that point, to the best of our abilities, right? We had a hard years early on and I'm not just taking the blame. They were mostly my fault. I was young and immature. I was 20 when we married. So I was young and immature and so, so selfish. But even in that mess, I can say that there was a true love there and commitment to Doug and I for our marriage. Neither one of us wanted to give up. And I'm so thankful for that. I am thankful for God's grace in our lives as unbelievers, that his common grace was upon us at that time. And Again, I look forward now as I'm looking back at where we came from, and I can see the Lord's plan and working there. And I still don't see it all, obviously. But so when we fast forward, when we came to Christ after being married almost 15 years, this had an obvious impact in our relationship to one another and our marriage. Our lives had purpose. Our marriage had purpose. And because of the work of the Lord within us, we experienced true forgiveness before God, and we were able to forgive one another in areas or maybe we hadn't yet, or maybe we were holding on to some bitterness or anger in our hearts to pass sins against one another. But what a true freedom that Doug and I found in Christ. And we continue to grow and learn more about the Lord and more about one another. So since we're on sexual intimacy today, I can say that our sexual relationship just continues to get better year after year, but it gets better because of our love for God and one another has grown the Lord continues to mature us spiritually. We are quicker to die to self. We don't get this perfect. And we look to the interests of one another. So now after 32 years of marriage, I can say that we are having our best sex ever. And I laugh at it because it sounds like a Joel Osteen next bestseller or something. I'm not ever, never recommending Joel Osteen, false teacher there. That's all I'm saying there. But that's kind of, a, I can't believe he hasn't written that book yet. Okay. So I love being with my husband physically, and I am so thankful that I'm the only one who gets to be with him and bring him pleasure in that way. We have a comfort to communicate about sexual things and share how to please one another. Sex is fun, ladies. We can laugh and play together in a way only married couples can truly share this intimacy with one another so openly and without any guilt. We serve a good God to give such a gift. He could have made sex just for procreation, but he didn't. He made it for us to take delight in and have true pleasure in each other's bodies. If you haven't lately, spend some time reading through the Song of Solomon. It is a beautiful love song and celebrates sexual love between a married couple 
one man and one woman. John MacArthur shares on the Song of Solomon. He says, The Song of Solomon expands on the ancient marriage instructions of Genesis 2.24, thus providing spiritual music for a lifetime of marital harmony. It's given by God to demonstrate his intention for romance and loveliness of marriage, the most precious of human relations and the grace of life. End quote. Let me share a few verses. These are some pretty erotic images here, although I'm not sure the facial expression that I might make if my husband described my hair as a flock of goats, okay? Um, but they are also just just such a celebration here of the bride's physical beauty. So I'm, I'm kind of jumping around in um, Song of Solomon chapter four here. <clears throat> it says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your lips are like scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like the halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, that graze among the lilies. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride! How much better is your love than wine, and the fragrance of your oils than any spice! Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. All right, so as I've stated all that above, what do we need to do with our past sexual sin? All right, if we're in Christ, we need to seek the Lord's forgiveness in these past areas of sin if we haven't. Oh, dear sisters in Christ, in Christ, we are blameless. The Lord sees us as blameless. We know the sexual sin of David, and yet in Psalm 26, 1 through 3, he says, Vindicate me, Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord and have not faltered. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. David defined himself as blameless, and we too in Christ are seen by God as blameless. God forgives. Confess your sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. This is such a cleansing process. You may not see these people anymore, but when we've given ourselves to someone in sexual sin, they become a part of us. There may be emotional and spiritual ties that we're still thinking on and we need to confess, and all we need to do is bring those thoughts before the Lord. Pour your heart out to him. Ask the Lord's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is instantaneous. God has completely forgiven you in Christ. Receive his grace and rest in his great love for you as a child. If this is an area of difficulty, I really recommend Linda Dillo and Lorraine Pintus's book, Intimate Issues. It was really a help to me as a new Christian in understanding my sexual relationship with my husband and understanding my sexual past and the issues I dealt with. This was a huge help to me. The subtitle of the book is 21 Questions Christian Women Ask About Sex. It even deals with if you've had an abortion. Um, there's just a lot of areas in it that were a help. Okay, so what about sexual abuse? This is another difficulty. This is an area, too, of my past that I needed to deal with. And I share this because I want you to know, ladies, I come with a voice of understanding and compassion, obviously not exactly what you went through, but I can have a little bit of a glimpse. These are hard things to deal with, and even in Christ they can, but even more so without Christ. I do know that. 
I don't have an easy fix for you here, but I can tell you, you need to trust and rest in God's promises for you. God loves you. He hates sexual abuse. God desires healing for you. And please know, the Lord reminds us in Romans 12, 19, that vengeance is his, right? There's earthly justice for these situations, but do know that God's justice is perfect always and in his timing and in his way. We can trust him. Proverbs eleven twenty one reminds us that God will not let wickedness go unpunished. So seek the Lord in prayer. Seek help from other believers. Seek the prayers and comfort of your husband. If you are struggling to enjoy sex with your husband because of this past issue, I... And I'm I'm t- reminding you of Second Corinthians five seventeen. I do want to. I'm going to continue. Let me go on with this because you're a new creation in Christ, right? Old things have passed away, and the new has come. But I so pray that your marriage will be a place of healing and redemption and restoration. We are all broken in so many areas, but we serve a great physician where there is nothing he cannot repair and make new. Dealing with our past is hard and it takes courage, but please seek help from a pastor or biblical counselor or wise godly friend if this is needed. Don't ignore this if this is an issue. Our God delights in redemption. In their book, Intimate Issues, that I just was talking about, there's an excerpt titled, Can I Become a Virgin Again? And they say, A young woman came to us and asked, I've had sex with four different men. Now that I've gone through the cleansing steps and God has forgiven me for my past, is it possible for me to become a virgin again? They said the word virgin means pure. Even after a woman has yielded her virginity, she can become pure in her sexual thoughts and attitude and her dress and demeanor and how she relates to men. The blood of Christ can wash us clean and make our sins as white as snow. Such a woman can become a virgin in every way, they say, but technically. All right, so another hindrance to sexual intimacy in our marriages, we've talked about past sexual sins, we've talked about sexual abuse, and now we're talking about a big one here, our body image. Mm -hmm. Age is a reality. None of us can avoid it. We've been married, my husband and I, for over 32 years, and I stated we married when I was 20. My body does not look like it did when I was 20, nor do I think it is even physically possible to go there, right? <laughs> I don't even think I can get close. <laughs> we are bombarded by culture everywhere we go on what an ideal standard should look like in women. And really, when you think about it, look at how it has changed over the centuries, just from the little bit that we know what body shapes and styles should look like. If we continue to let the world shape our view of what the perfect shape of a woman should be, we're never going to attain it. And if we hold that as our standard, we're never going to find contentment in how we look, ladies. Listen, I'm here with you. I, I get this. I get caught up in this icky cycle myself. I'm in menopause. I've put on weight. I don't like how I look in the mirror. And when my focus becomes on my physical appearance that I don't like, it doesn't make me feel very sexy to my husband especially without my clothes on. <laughs> and listen, I'm saying this. My, I have a husband who is so good to me. He continually tells me how sexy and beautiful he sees me and how much he loves my body. And I'm not saying this to boast in any way. I'm saying that I get a lot of affirmation from him and I still struggle. How quickly I forget that the Lord wants me to, as Linda Dillo says, rejoice in the body I give you. Use it to honor me and please your husband. Okay, so what else am I forgetting here? Um, Oh, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Hello, right? Okay, (laughs) 
Two of the books that I researched on sexual intimacy written by Christian authors recommended to, I'm sharing this because it kind of made me laugh, recommended to stand in front of a mirror naked. Okay, so just for the record here, I've not done this yet, and I'm really not sure I'm going to, but I'm sharing it because it could very well be a good reminder and exercise. I just haven't mustered up the courage to do it, and it's quite a bit out of my comfort zone. And they said to start from your head down to your toes and recognize how creative God was in fashioning our bodies. Like the one lady was saying, just her eyes and her hair and the design, even the nose and the way our faces are made and all of these things, okay? To be reminded too that there's no one else like us. We've been fashioned by God. And as the verse says, I give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. I want to paraphrase a few thoughts here from Intimate Issues and then share some thoughts personally, okay? First is, it's going to be difficult to please our husbands if we're so focused on the things that we don't like about our physical bodies, right? It's not going to make us feel attractive or sexy towards them. And attractiveness is defined as having the quality of attracting, having the power of charming or alluring, engaging or enticing. This isn't going to happen if I'm focusing around about my um, extra pudge around the middle. It's just not going to work. So John Gray said, and he's the Mars versus Venus guy. I've not read his books, but I'm sharing this quote that they had from Intimate Issues. They said, when a man is in love and turned on by his wife, he is also totally entranced by the feminine beauty of her body, regardless of where the media would rank it on a scale of one to 10. When he is in love with his wife, he experiences the perfection of her body for him. Okay, reminder here, ladies, out of all the women in the world, your husband chose you and you only need to seek to please your own husband. He didn't just marry you for your physical beauty. He married all of you, your mind, your smile, your eyes, your personality, every part of you. It was a package deal. So let's just look. We looked at the word attractive. So let's look at the word sexy. And Andrew Greeley from the, from, um, his book was called Sexual Intimacy, and I haven't read it, but I'm borrowing the quote from Linda Dillo here. So he said, to be sexy is to be aware of your body as an instrument of playfulness and delight, to be able to communicate this awareness to your husband and give him the gift of your body for pleasure, delight, variety, and playfulness. So your sensuousness I like that word, towards your husband and playful attitude towards sex is better than a perfect 10 body type to him any day. I can assure you of that. This is to be sexy, all right? So I'm heading towards my mid-50s, right? And gravity is not my friend, (laughs) but the best gift I can give my husband in this area is to be a woman who enjoys sex and being with him in this way and letting my playfulness come out in the bedroom. I want to bring him pleasure and let him know what brings me pleasure. I mean, goodness, sex is fun for me too, right? Doug and I are continual learners of each other's bodies and how to just enjoy one another physically. When I'm in that mode... I am not thinking about wrinkles or stretch marks or cellulite or pudge. And I can assure you that is the last thing on my husband's mind. It's not even there. And I can assure you, ladies, when you are giving yourself to your husband in this way, that's not on his mind. He is enjoying the wife of his youth. Now, before I just let you off the hook here on your physical appearance, that it doesn't matter, I'm not going to do that, all right? (laughs) Because I do want to encourage you to take care of yourself physically. 
Take care to the best of your ability this earthly vessel the Lord has given you. Take care of yourself physically as a gift to your husband. When you take the time at losing some extra weight, and I don't mean, like I said, I'm not going to get down to a size four again, but I can I can shed some pounds. When you're taking care of your physical appearance and you're getting some exercise so you have the energy to play in the bedroom, this is going to be a help in with you in your sexual life with your husband. I don't want to put our focus on outward beauty, but I can share. When I do things like get my hair fixed and put some makeup on and wear nice outfits, my husband notices and he likes it. I want to please him in all ways. Listen, I know, like I said, I'm not going to ever be back down to a size four, but I can sure work hard at making the most of what the Lord has given to me to work with at this stage and season of my life. When I exercise, not only does it not make me want to eat that extra cookie, well, most days, okay, but it also gives me more energy to not just get my work done around the house, but to be more playful in the bedroom, all right? There has to be a balance here. It's not meant to get overly focused on outward appearance, but the flip side is not is that we don't want to have any interest in outward appearance. And Linda Dillo stated, and I, feel, I keep saying Linda Dillo, but it's Linda Dillo and Lorraine Pintitz both wrote this book. I just don't know who's talking in it, so it's easier for me to say Linda Dillo from Intimate Issues. But she said, when you begin to see the balance between accepting the way God made you and being responsible for your body, you can become free to be the sensuous and exciting lover God desires you to be, free to concentrate on giving and receiving pleasure rather than on what you look like, end quote. They also shared a survey in their book from Psychology Today, obviously not my first go-to resource, but it stated that one of the best ways to feel good about your body is to have a rewarding sexual relationship with your husband. Good sexual experiences breed high levels of body satisfaction. And I love how they stated it in their book, Intimate Issues. It's, it's, they said it's a circle. They said, when you feel good about your body, you can be an exciting lover. And when you have a wonderfully free sexual relationship in your marriage, you feel better about your body. There is no place to go to buy a new body. Each wife can grow to be attractive and sexy. There is a natural beauty that emanates from a woman who has done the most with what she has and has learned to use her body to delight and entice her husband. Let me read that last sentence again because I really like that. That really, I feel like it summarizes my whole podcast here. But they said, there is a natural beauty that emanates from a woman who has done the most with what she has and has learned to use her body to delight and entice her husband. Okay, end quote there. Okay, I'm gonna take a breath here. All right, there are many other hindrances that we haven't addressed, okay? I, I can't even I can't even think of them all. And I'm gonna state some and you're gonna be like, you didn't hit mine. And I know that and I'm sorry, but I know there's issues with medications. There's issues just with aging in general. Um Things like menopause, unmet expectations. Maybe your husband has no interest in sex. I cannot address them all here, but I do want you to not just leave it alone if there's an issue that can be dealt with. There's help from menopausal women and lack of sex drive or, or dryness. Seek help from your doctor on issues that maybe you're taking some medications that may be causing a lack um, of sex drive. I encourage you to, to not just do nothing, all right, but do something. And in other areas that I haven't addressed here, it's been said that if 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 were being lived out in our marriages, 
our sexual problems would be at a minimum. Many of our issues are due to conflict or lack of communication. When we take the time in our marriages to solve other problems, it may resolve our sexual problems. Doug Goyne said, and this is from a sermon online that I had read, um, he said, the greatest sexual fulfillment comes gradually over the long haul in a marriage as a couple learns to talk about anything, anytime. When there's heart-to-heart communication, not just talking at each other, but listening actively and sensitively, caring deeply about the communication. And plug here, episode 39 was on communication with our spouses. All right. The last one I want to address before we move forward is our selfishness and the hindrance that it can be to our marriages in the way of sexual intimacy. I'm going to read here in a moment a longer excerpt from an old book, but a favorite of mine and my husband's called Rekindling the Romance. I think we picked it up at a weekend to remember a marriage retreat weekend put on by Family Life Ministries. Um, We went on one as newer Christians many, many years ago. It was so good for our marriage. um, It's a good one to read together as a couple, this book, Rekindling the Romance. There's chapters geared towards both husbands and wives. And I'm going to read from pages 90 to 92 from the chapter entitled, Why Wives Don't Use Their Feminine Power. And this particular section that I'm reading from is subheaded, The Hindrance of Selfishness. You say, in the last half of the 20th century, we saw a female-focused revolution. The feminist movement successfully shifted the thinking of corporations, advertisers, writers, and everyone else in American culture to think about women's needs first. While there was something, while there was some need for change in many areas, the pendulum swung way past the center point of balance. The result is a generation of women who have become more self-focused than ever. As wives, we have the challenge of renewing our minds to think biblically, not culturally, about our marriages. The world's philosophy would tell your husband to get over it, um, and that would be meaning his need for affirmation and sexual love, and help you with the load. And while he ought to help you with the children and household duties, he doesn't need to get over his God-designed sexual need. I realize what I'm about to say might be a tough message for you to hear, but please hear me out. I'm convinced that for the most part, women in America have become pampered to the point of being spoiled rotten. We have heard hundreds of thousands of messages over the past 40 years that say in various ways, stand up for your rights, don't let them run over you, you can have it all, women deserve a break, and on and on. Almost all advertising, most book promotions, radio and TV programming, and nearly all retail businesses are aimed at women. Our affluence is feverishly feeding women's selfish nature with the result that women are more self-focused than at any point in our nation's history. Listen to one husband's perspective on his wife's lack of interest. He says, I read with interest your article, You're Stressed, Exhausted, and Not in the Mood by Dennis and Barbara Rainey, and find Dennis's statement, Remember, men, that our wives long for real intimacy with us to be rather amusing and difficult to accept. The reason I say this is our marriage has been celibate for 18 of the 23 years we've been married, certainly not by my choosing. Over these years, I've tried all the things you suggest in this article and many other things and just cannot get my wife to realize how important this issue is for me. As a consequence, we are having and have had significant significant difficulties in our marriage. Okay, so it appears that this wife has chosen to put her needs and wants above her husband's. I wonder if this is what she promised when she married him 23 years ago. The antidote for selfishness is serving, and sacrifice is the language of romance. Therefore, 
It's impossible to have the marriage you once dreamed of without self-denial. Remember Philippians 2.4, let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Take an appreciative look at your husband. Take a good, hard look at what he does for you and your kids, and then thank him for it. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 reminds us, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All right, ladies, so how can we enjoy this gift of sex in our marriages? It's not just for our husband's enjoyment, but ours too. God declared it's not good for man to be alone, and he made us wives as a helper fit for our husbands. In Rekindling the Romans, they stated that we are to bless our husband's sexuality, and it stated, Your attitude towards your husband's sexuality and sex drive is important because you alone have the power to bless him sexually and affirm his male identity. Your responsiveness is a major component of how he feels about himself. Your husband needs to feel that when he initiates intimacy with you, you welcome him and want to receive him. And by doing so, you affirm him. Indeed, you affirm his leadership and initiative, the very essence of manhood. They continued, repeatedly rejecting your husband's sexual initiative creates a profound wound and a part of him dies. This wound is so deep that far too many men wrongly go elsewhere to be received and validated sexually. When a wife consistently makes excuse for avoiding physical intimacy, repeatedly expresses disinterest in something so vital to her husband, she's emasculating her husband. And to emasculate means to weaken, to soften, to maim, and to castrate. It's a word rarely spoken in our culture, but it happens regularly in our marriages. And as I shared that those quotes are from Rekindling the Romance, please note, ladies, if your husband sins by taking his sexual need outside of your marriage, he's responsible before the Lord, okay? That is not on you. That is his. That was his choice and his sin, okay? We're given a gift by the Lord to help protect them from temptation by meeting their sexual needs within the context of marriage. And I'm, I really struggled how to express this correctly, so bear with me as I work through this here, okay? But sex in marriage is a God-designed defense against temptations. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, verses 2 through 5 says, But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Okay, when you are a couple with a healthy sex life, you don't even realize the power that that has to help you both avoid temptation. As Dave Harvey said, by God's faithful provision through marriage, your protection sleeps right next to you every night. So, end quote there, sex protects. Don't leave your spouse unprotected. And we need to be clear here though. You should not be having sex with your husband out of fear that if you don't, he'll have an affair. That's the wrong motivation. (laughs) You can be having sex and having great sex with your husband, and he can still fall into a sexual temptation, okay? Being sexually satisfied may be a deterrent for a man or woman falling into sexual temptation, but the Apostle Paul, he's not saying it's sin-proof. So here's the other side. If your husband is pressuring you to provide for his needs and telling you that you can never say no, this isn't Christian love. 
and it has been distorted. All right, we're going to talk a bit more on this um, about when we need to say no in a bit here, but there are moments when illness is a factor or extreme fatigue or a bad headache or you've just had a baby or surgery or whatever it may be and we need or or a difficult struggling time in your marriage i emotionally even and we need to deal with those times okay all right so after stating that we're going to move forward here so how can you recapture that love for your husband or maybe even find it for the first time in your marriage you know what if you just have no interest in him and you're just not feeling love for him how can you make your husband the priority earthly relationship in your life and put him first one way is to focus on him to focus on the things that you love about him, to focus on the things that first attracted you to him, focus on the things he's doing right. Think Philippians 4, 8 thoughts about him. Ask the Lord to show you what is good and attractive about your husband. Marriage is to be a place where we have a comfort and safety with one another, where we're loved even when the other person knows all about our flaws and we are just accepted for who we are. Take the time to see where you're not prioritizing your sexual relationship with your husband. He wants to feel sexually desired by you. He wants you to pursue him in that way. He wants you to take the initiative first at times. So how can you make the sexual relationship with your husband a priority? Can you get a bit creative or spice things up a bit? What about letting him know that you've been thinking about him in that way during the day and you can't wait till the kids go to bed tonight? Let him know maybe how much you enjoyed the last time you two were together intimately and whisper in his ear exactly what you loved about it. The hope is that you're going to get creative here and pursue your man to let him know how much you desire to be with him. Share with him how much you love him and what are some things you appreciate about him. Maybe that he's a hard worker, he's faithful, a good father, he's a good lover. Can you purchase some new lingerie and lay it out on the bed so he sees it when he comes home from work and maybe you leave a little sexy invitation on it too? Can you read some books written by Christians on sex together? And two that I recommend are Intended for Pleasure by Ed Wheat. I would say, it's not necessarily, but I would say this one is really great for newly married couples or newer married couples. And another one is Celebration of Sex by Doug Rosenon. He also has two other books. He has... um. The Celebration of Sex for Newlyweds, and he has Celebration of Sex for Couples Over 50. So there's some other books in that market, depending on what season you're in in your marriage. These particular books, they give, um, well, anything really, these give you opportunities to try new things in your sexual relationship. And, And the guidelines I want to state here to always hold to is that they are pleasing to one another, that they're not offensive to either of you. And they are within the boundaries of scripture, all right? I I feel like those are kind of given things, but I felt like I needed to just state that. Many times, all we learned about sex came from like the school bus or kids at school, all right? Many of us didn't get a sex education from our parents. And if we did, it wasn't much. And we might even think that we understand the anatomy of us and our spouses fully, but we really don't. And I don't care here if you have a Harvard education, you may be more ignorant in this area than you think you are, all right? There can be a lot of ignorance in these areas there where it really doesn't need to be. And I encourage you to educate yourself. Those resources I just mentioned, the celebration of sex and intended for pleasure, Those are great resources, and they do that in a God-honoring way. They are both great guides to fully enjoying God's gift of sexual intimacy in your marriage. 
Um, being a great lover, as Doug Rosenau shares, is building into your heart and mind these particular characteristics gleaned from the Bible. He said playfulness, love, knowledge, honesty, forgiveness, creative romance, and discipline. He says these characteristics will lead you to great sex. And the formula he shares in his book, Celebration of Sex, is an intimate marriage plus a mature lover equals a fulfilling sex life. We all, I would think, desire, or we should, a fulfilling sex life. All right, so what about, can you give your husband the gift of being a sensuous wife? One of the chapters in Intimate Issues was titled, How Can I Be Godly and Sensuous? You do not have to distance yourself, ladies, from sensual to be godly. Passionate sex in your marriage is not sinful. It is godly. Our sexuality is integrated with our spirituality. Everything everything created by God is good. Romans 11.36, right? And our sexuality is to be used for his glory. Vanette Bright said, It is as important to be filled with the spirit in your bed, in bed with your husband, ministering to him, as it is for you to be filled with the spirit when you are teaching the Bible or ministering. Song of Solomon um, 5.1 says, Eat, friends, drink, and imbibe deeply, O lovers. So God desires that you drink deeply to enjoy physical passion in your marriage. Linda Dillo and Lorraine Pintus walk us through the Song of Solomon to see what a sensuous woman looks like and acts like by reflecting on Solomon's bride, the Shulamite woman. They talk about her, and I'm kind of um, paraphrasing, shortening this quite a bit, that she's responsive sexually to her husband, She's adventurous in her lovemaking. She receives sexual pleasure from her husband, and she is the initiator at times. She has them making love outdoors. She is uninhibited with her lover and guides him as to where to touch her. She's verbally expressive to him, and she is sensuous. She is a woman who is tuned into her body, and when Solomon isn't there, She's thinking about him in a sensuous way. Her thoughts are on his physical appearance and she's delighting in it as in her mind, she undresses her husband from his head on down. Oh my dear ladies, there is beauty and freedom in being sensuous lovers to our husbands. This may not be overnight, but I hope you will take the time to pray and ask the Lord to give you a passionate, sensuous desire for your husband. A good sex life begins in the mind. It's the most important sex organ. Douglas Rosenall, theologian and Christian sex therapist said, sex is 80% imagination and mind and 20% friction. All right. Our minds can be affected by what we've heard about sex in the past, maybe how it was looked at and talked about, or maybe not talked about in our homes, even as children. Maybe it was described as a chore, something the wife had to do with her husband out of duty. There's no delight in it. Maybe it was considered dirty. Um, we need to conform our minds not to the world and its view of sex, but to God's view of married sex. Take the time to study what God's word says. Work through the Song of Solomon. Read it together as a couple. Have you ever thought to pray a verse like Proverbs 5.19 back to God? I'm going to be honest. I've never done this. But to pray back to God, asking him to make you a better lover. I mean, if I were to pray about being a loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. That's Proverbs 5.19. I, You know, how would I pray that to God? It's like, Lord, help me to be loving towards my husband that... <clears throat> 
<laughs> I can't even imagine, I'm not going to pray to you, but that my breasts would satisfy him always, that that he would be intoxicated by me. What Pray about how we can be an expressive lover to our husbands. Um, as we move on from there, what about what new positions can you try or maybe new places to make love? Can you describe to your husband exactly what you would like to do to him physically or what you would like him to do to you physically? We have been given permission by God to dwell on our own husband's bodies. You can actually let your mind go when you're fantasizing about your husband, not somebody else's, your husband. It will surely get to your heart and mind in the mood for lovemaking. Dr. Rosenau said, our mind and the ability to think and imagine are a crucial part of being created human. This ability to enjoy mental imagery can be used to expand and enjoy all aspects of your life, including your lovemaking. Fill your mind, ladies, with thoughts of your husband. This quote from Intimate Issues, they said, our sexual life is what our thoughts make it. Your mind is your greatest sexual organ. Use it to become the godly and sensuous lover God desires you to be. The ladies in this book have three attitudes on how we think about sex. I'm going to read all three of them and you tell me which which one you fit into here. Number one, sex is something I do because I have to. Number two, sex is something I do because God says I have to. Or number three, sex is a way I can give love to my husband and minister to him. So my hope is since we've come this far together that you clearly saw number three is the correct answer there, right? Okay, what about when you're just not in the mood, okay? First, check, ladies, to see if it's just a matter of a needed attitude adjustment, all right? Okay, but what if you really have a headache? Can you kindly ask your husband if he could wait a bit or maybe take a rain check for tomorrow or in the morning even? And make sure, though, when you do that, that you come through on your promise, that you hold to your word there. There are loving ways to say later or not now, but this should not be a pattern but a rarity in our intimate times together. Again, I'm giving the caveat here, unless there is something physical or illness or something deeper going on there that needs dealt with. But when you, again, have to take a rain check, your husband should have an assurance that you're going to hold to it. Gary Chapman said regarding when we might think it hypocritical to be to be with our husband sexually when we're not just in the mood. So now you're having sex just because you think it's the right thing to do and how we might think we're being hypocrites there. He said, perhaps it would be helpful to distinguish between love as a feeling and love as an action. If you claim to have feelings that you do not have, that's hypocritical. And such false communication is not the way to build intimate relationships. But if you express an act of love that is designed for the other person's benefit or pleasure, it is simply a choice. You are not claiming that the action grows out of a deep emotional bonding. You are simply choosing to do something for his benefit. And I can tell you those moments, even for me, when I've not been in the mood, but I've given myself to her husband, how quickly I become in the mood. <laughs> and again, it has to start in the mind there too, okay? What are we thinking of? Are you thinking, I don't want to be doing this right now? Or are you thinking, how can I enjoy him and delight in him at this moment? All right, I want to share an excerpt from a journal entry that they shared in Intimate Issues, and it was this young woman, Brooke. She struggled with her attitude, and yet she made the choice to honor the commitment that she made to her husband. So I could have been opening the book while I was talking, but I did not, so bear with me here. Okay, so Brooke said, she said, driving home 
on the snowy roads, my heart was singing. She said, tonight I would be alone. Jake had a basketball game with the church league and the children were each invited to a sleepover, an empty house. What joy. Visions of slipping into a bubble bath with a good book and a cup of hot chocolate danced in my mind. When the garage door opened, I saw our blue car. Jake was still home. I was totally unprepared for him and his plan for the evening. With a grin, he informed me that a night of lovemaking awaited me in front of the fire. My heart sunk to my feet. I was anticipating aloneness, not togetherness. I felt sad that my evening alone had vanished. Sex was the last thing on my mind. Perhaps I could go up for hors d'oeuvre sex, but it was obvious Jake wanted Thanksgiving dinner (laughs) with all the trimmings. I just wasn't in the mood. What was I to do? My thoughts went to a conversation I'd had with a friend. She told me her husband had never wanted her. I should be grateful that after 17 years of marriage, Jake still yearned for me, that he preferred a romantic evening with me over a basketball game. But I wasn't, not tonight. Help God, I prayed. I love this man. Help me want to love him. One decision followed another. I prayed that Jake would not see how hard this was for me. I told Jake how much I loved him, told him how I was going to give him pleasure, but my mind and heart were in the bath with my book. I continued to pray and love my husband. I chose to love him. Lord, give me desire for him. As I write, it's hours later. My Jake is asleep. I can't sleep because I'm still thinking about what happened tonight. It was a beautiful time of love making, exquisite. Afterward, we felt so close and intimate. What a lesson for me. Yes, my plan was shattered, but how grateful I am that I made a choice and went with the new plan. I made one husband very happy, and I'm at peace that I chose to love. And someday, God will even have an evening alone for me. Well, my ladies, our attitude makes a difference. All right. So what about sex lives and our children, right? Murphy's Law says that sex makes little kids and kids make little sex. (laughs) So Dr. Paul Persall says, any part of the marriage that is ignored will disappear, particularly sex. So how can we make sex a priority when we're exhausted at the end of the day? Then there's the other end of having teenagers that stay up later than we do. And I know for most women, our minds are thinking too much of what is going on or being heard on the other side of the bedroom doorway. And our husbands can be totally oblivious to it and continue on, but we just can't seem to take our focus off at times. Okay, so the reality is, and this is not going to be exclusive and I need you guys to get creative here, but the reality is if sex is going to be a priority, we need to just make the time. You can have a great sex life with children at home. And I'd like to encourage you here, ladies, to take the time to give your bedroom some time and attention to tidy it up, make it an inviting place for you and your husband to hang out. Don't let it become the catch-all room for things like laundry and other things that don't have a home maybe in your house. Maybe invest in a candle or two or some essential oils in a diffuser or have a way to play some soft music. And it's not that every sexual encounter has to have these things, but they do add such a touch of romance. And they speak to your husband that romance is a priority to you. Make sure you have a lock on your bedroom door and that the children know to always knock before entering. 
I know that those stormy nights come up where you may find littles wandering or maybe big sometime wandering into your room in the middle of the night, but at least keep the door locked while you're being intimate and then unlock it if needed before you head off to sleep. Okay, there's lots of other ideas. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but you can make time for quickies when the kids are busy watching a movie or outside, right? There's other rooms in your home. (laughs) You can plan date nights at home after the kids go to bed. You can hire a sitter to take the kids to a park to play while you have a little interlude at home. Plan a weekend getaway if you can, even yearly if this is possible, even if it's just for a night if you can't do a whole weekend. You all are much more creative, as I said, but my encouragement is to not stop thinking about ways to keep romance alive in your marriage. Family Life Today has a fun resource to help you plan date nights. It's called Simply Romantic Nights, and I'm going to link it to um, in the post on the resources. It's such a help in getting your creative juices flowing, but you can find tons of ideas online. I'm sure Pinterest has them. So ladies, this takes time and intentionality. Don't let your husband end up last on your list. He should be at the top of your list. Linda Dillow shared a fun idea that to keep sex with her husband on the top of the list, she would write on her calendar every other day the initials T-S, which stood for Think Sex. So how can you begin to think sex to keep it an effective reminder in making your sexual relationship with your husband a priority? All right, what if you are struggling to love your husband? I want you to go back and listen to episode 35 on loving our husbands and also episode 17 on cherishing our husbands. Titus 2.4 tells the older women to teach the younger women to love their husbands. It's not always natural, right? We must learn to love our husbands as Christ has loved us. Christ has equipped us to do this. We are not all very naturally lovable all the time, but Christ is my example of how to love the unlovable with the reminder that we're also unlovable, okay? (laughs) Ladies, you can learn to love your husband. When your heart is filled with the love of Christ, it will overflow into others. Christ's love is a transforming love. We're not to love our husbands with the thought that we're going to change them, okay? But our love is to be selfless and unconditional. And yet, we don't know how the Lord may use that as we love them, not just with our emotions and actions, but even as we love them sexually, all right? So as I'm winding up here, I'm heading towards the close. Finally, I know this is another long one, and I've just barely dove into this topic. So I do hope that you'll utilize the resources from the post up yesterday and work through these show notes. But I want you to remember back to the vows that you took on your wedding day. You said for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. There may be days of the for worse or the in sickness, all right? I love Alistair Begg and... um. There was a message or something I was listening to, and he had a couple come into his office for marriage counseling, and um, they were complaining and going on, and he said to them, okay, this is the for worse. Basically, we signed up for this, okay? We all have difficult days. We have tired, exhausting days. We have days when pleasing our husbands is the last thing on our mind, but how can we bring it back to the forefront? By remembering, we need to remember, we need to keep this love relationship with our husband new and fresh. Don't let it get stale and mundane, ladies. It is work. You can take the first steps to reignite passion in your marriage. Let your husband know that he's your top priority next to the Lord, not just in your words, but in your actions. Marriage is work. 
and not a relationship that we can just take for granted. But I can assure you, it is worth every bit of work that you put into it. After 32 years of marriage, my husband and I have grown in our love for one another and our sexual life is better than ever. And let me tell you, in our 20s, we thought we were all that in a bag of chips. You know what? We didn't have a clue how good it can be and continues to be. It is truly better every year. Ladies, remember the things that first attracted you to your husband. They're still there, okay? They may just be buried after years of criticize him outwardly, verbally, or even inwardly to yourself. And next, I ask you to repent of any critical thinking you've had about your husband, ways that you're not responding to him with the love of Christ. Ask the Lord for forgiveness and even to your husband if necessary. Now go back to being, you're not just his girlfriend, you are his lover. You are married. You get the privilege of being his lover. Be faithful to meet his needs in this very important area of the sexual relationship. So what's one thing that you can do today? Can you send him a sexy text message of what's to come tonight? Can you pull out that sweet negligee that you haven't worn in a while? Can you whisper sweet, sensuous thoughts in his ear when he gets home from work? Can you plan a date night or write a sexy love letter? I don't know what it is, all right? Maybe you need to start with prayer and you need to ask the Lord to change your heart in this area. But I do hope that if a change is needed, that you'll be the first one to make it. At the end of Intimate Issues, which if you're going to invest in purchase only purchasing one resource, ladies, this would be the one I recommend, all right? They end the book with these thoughts. They say, ask your husband the following question. What can I do to become your dream lover? And when you ask your husband this question, you're saying, honey, I long to grow as a sensuous woman. I long to become all you've ever dreamed of in a lover. Can you think any gift that he would rather receive than this one? I know I sure can't, right? So ladies, I'm praying that we all continue to move forward to be godly and sensuous wives. I'm going to leave with a quote by Janie Ortland. She says, You are the only legal, God-blessed source of sexual fulfillment that your husband will ever have if he follows the Lord carefully. Give him the joy and pleasure that he can only experience with you. So my friends, Jesus is enough always. Thank you, ladies, for your time today. And as always, I know I'm repetitive, but... For my people who are my first time here, for the show notes and the resources, head over to my home on the web, thankfulhomemaker.com. And if this podcast has been an encouragement to you, I'd be so thankful for you take a couple minutes, leave a quick review where you listen to it so other Christian women can find it. And if it um, blessed you, maybe it would bless a friend that you can share it with or two. And this is the last of the marriage series of the podcast. So if you haven't caught them all, they start in episode 34 and they finish with this one. The blog post that went up yesterday is packed with resources on sex and sexual intimacy and marriage from podcasts, books, articles. So take a peek when you get a moment. It's going to be linked in the show notes too. So I'm going to be off next week for Labor Day as we'll be traveling. Check out my Instagram if you haven't as I'm going to try to share some photos from a trip. But I'm looking forward to getting back into the regular schedule here at the podcast on Wednesday, September 12th, which will be... Um, the next episode. And right now on my mind is a podcast on getting back to a routine after summer. 
because I'm just so out of routine here. I'm working on it now in my own life. It's on my mind. So I'm feeling it's probably due for a podcast. Um, when we go back to, I'm going to go back to the shorter time. So I won't take up so much of your days. And um, last one more plug here. I'm getting ready for the Homemaking Ministries Online Conference called the Deep Dive Summit. It's coming up at the end of September. I'd love, love, love you to join me if you've not signed up yet. And there's a good, good deal going on right now. Okay, if you sign up by August 31st, there's still some early bird pricing going on. There is a fabulous free free bundle of ebooks, courses, and printables that you get automatically with your ticket purchase. So again, you can watch the conference live anytime at your convenience when the sessions go up. Um, yeah, you could either watch it live, I should say, or when the sessions go up, you can watch them whenever you want to. It's yours forever to keep. So I'd love to see you all there. My sessions again are on idols of the heart and preaching the gospel to ourselves. And there's some great sessions. So check out all the details on the link here in the show notes. And again, ladies, thank you for giving me a bit of your day. Have a blessed week, my dear friends. Mm-hmm.